And uh, I want to continue. Uh, last week we did, we dealt with a couple of passages in Scripture that uh, oftentimes are misused. Uh, we, don't, we don't quote them within context. Uh, we use them for some issues. And we mentioned the first three rules of understanding and, and interpreting and understanding Scripture right. And they were the context, you got to know the context, and you got to know the context. It's very, very important that we understand the context of things. And how often we misunderstand, we misteach a passage of Scripture. Now, uh, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this last week, I will mention it again this week. It doesn't mean that the teaching that we've taught from these passages has been wrong. Uh, sometimes that what, what has been taught... Uh, the principle is a Bible principle. The problem is it's just not in that passage. And so sometimes we use the wrong passage to teach something that is a legitimate Bible principle elsewhere in Scripture, but we misuse this one. And the problem with that is when we speak to a lost person or someone who maybe uh, uh, is not uh, churched very much, they don't go to church very much, and we point something out and they go to that chapter and begin to read it, they may look at that and say, that's not at all what they're trying to say by that, and we would have a problem with defending that. So it's important that the Bible says we study to show ourselves uh, proved unto God workmen that need not to be ashamed. And there are times I have used a passage and taught a passage, and some brother in Christ would come and say, Brother Greg, you might want to relook at that. And I've been embarrassed about it, but I've looked at it again and realized, you're right, I, I, I missed that. I didn't quite have it down. And so we want to, we want to take a, a, another evening at least tonight, and we may go one more Wednesday night yet on some of these things that we've been dealing with, and try to be a help in some, some areas that uh, are questionable, things that sometimes either we struggle with, or sometimes in last week we just took, took a couple passages that... Uh, I think are great passages, but we have misused them. And so we're going to continue that, that line of thinking tonight. We're going to look at a couple of different, maybe three, maybe as many as three if we have enough time, different passages. The first one we're going to find in Philippians chapter number 4, one we love to quote in verse number 13. The Bible says this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And as a youth pastor, I used to teach young people this all the time. Well, you can do anything, you know, and... We would quote it before our ball games, you know, and uh, we would quote it before the big tests that we were doing and uh, the, the, the big finals coming up. We'd bring it up in, uh, uh, at the end of the semester, at the end of the school year, to the kids that were complaining, saying, oh, the test is too big. And as a teacher, we would say, okay, let's quote Philippians 4.13, you know. And uh, if we're not careful, we'll take this as, again, a, a, a verse of Scripture that stands on its own, and yet it has context to it. And so what is it that Paul was specifically dealing with when he dealt with this idea of I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me? So let's take a minute and let's take a look at this. In, uh, let's go to verse number 10, and we're going to read. By the way, to find the context of a verse, it's helpful to read uh, before it and to read after it. Sometimes read the entire chapter. And then let me say this. Uh, the chapters and the verses were put in later. Uh, after we had our King James Bibles. And there are sometimes, in fact, the next place we go to to look at a passage, uh, there is an issue between 
the end of one chapter and going into the beginning of another chapter, it's still within its context. And why they put a chapter division there is a little bit um, why we're look, we look at it and we think, well, why would they put that there if it all ties together? Uh, but we'll see that here in just a little bit. So it's important for us to understand. And when we come to Scripture, uh, be careful when somebody quotes one verse to you and then makes a, a, a truth statement and makes a doctrine out of it or makes a, a principle of God's Word, be careful about taking one verse. Uh, again, what they're teaching, maybe the principle they're trying to get across may not be wrong, but let's be careful about this. Make sure that we read and we, we're careful with Scripture. Um, I think we live in a day where we handle God's Word very, very carelessly. And we don't spend the time looking into it the way we ought. So we're going to take a look here. Let's look in verse number 10. And uh, we're going to go on down through this. The Bible says this. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Which, by the way, this is an interesting thing. Out of all the, the epistles that Paul wrote, the church at Philippi was the only one that he did not have to correct. This is, this is, a, this is a, a church that we could look at and say, well, what an example of a New Testament church. This church was commended. Uh, Paul encouraged them to stand fast in some things. He uh, mentioned some things that they needed to be careful of, that they don't slip into. But he has, he has no correction for the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was the first church he established when he got the Macedonian call. And very interesting, when he went over into Macedonia, he landed there and he met a, a lady by the name of Lydia. Some of you will remember uh, Lydia. The Bible calls her the seller of purple. There's not much known about her. That's about it. But she was his first convert. She, he led her to the Lord. And uh, then they began a church there in Philippi. And this church thrived and it grew and Paul commended them for a lot of things. And in verse number 10, he says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last... Okay, so Paul's getting to the end of his, his ministry. He's getting to the end of uh, some things. He says, Now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. So again, they have sent time and again. And we find that Paul commends them uh, even to the Corinthians. He writes and says, Boy, the church at Philippi, they even gave uh, out of their... Uh, uh, out of their uh, uh, need now their want, and uh, notice he says this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned <clears throat> in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be. What's the next word here? Content. Wow, that's a, that's not a subject that we like to hear preached on a lot, is it? Boy, I don't know. We live in a world where all of the advertisements point to the discontentment of men. The world tries to show you how you need something. Uh, when I go to Harbor Freight, I mean, I walk up and down the aisles, and I find a lot of things in Harbor Freight that I cannot live without. Uh, amen, fellas? That's okay. You ladies laugh at us. Hobby Lobby does that to you. You find things that you just can't live without. Or if nobody can relate to either one of those, go to Chick-fil-A. Yeah, that'll help you. We'll find things we can't live without. And the, the truth is, we live in a world where we have been spoiled rotten, <laughs> to be honest with you, in the society that we live in. Uh, the truth is, we live in a very discontent society. And even God's people many times, we are discontent. Well, if I just had this much more, if I just could get this point, if I could just have that job, if I could just have that house, if I could get that new car, and, and we're always looking for something more. 
And uh, there's a lack of contentment with what God has seen fit to give us, to bring into our lives. And uh, Paul says this. He says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, there to be content. Now, he, he's mentioning the fact that the Philippians have communicated with him. They have given to his necessity, to his need. But notice he says this in verse 12, and I love this. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Now, there's a lot of um, uh, Bible scholars that know a little bit of the, what the Bible says about Paul's past. The fact that he was uh, taught at the feet of a fellow by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was probably one of the most well-educated men at the time. In fact, he was uh, very instrumental when the disciples were arrested and brought to uh, the high priest, and they were talking with him about uh, what they were going to do with these fellows. And Gamaliel was the one who came and said, Listen, you need to let them alone. If they're of God, then who are we? And uh, if they are not of God, then, then they'll pass off the scene, just like some others have done. And Gamaliel's the one, and he was a well-sought-after teacher. Also, we know this, that Paul was uh, a, a Jew, but many people didn't know that he was a Jew. More than likely, and a lot of scholars believe that his parents, uh, or, or I'm sorry, he was a Roman, excuse me, he was a Jew that was a Roman, had Roman citizenship. Many people believe that his parents were wealthy enough that they were able to buy their Roman citizenship which was what had to happen in that day. If you were a Jew, you weren't uh, a Roman automatically. Uh, you had to purchase that at a great price. Paul came perhaps, and, and more than likely, came from a fairly affluent home. Now, some people disagree with that. I'm not going to make that a, a point of contention or something I would, I would fight over, but there's enough in Scripture that I think would lead us towards that direction, that Paul probably came from a fairly affluent family. One thing we certainly know is that he was... Before his salvation, he was a man of influence. He could go to the high priest and get letters uh, to go and, and deal with these 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 uh, heretical Christians at the time is what he thought of them. And um, he was able to be a man of influence. He certainly had position and he had well-being. He understood that. In fact, Paul goes on to say, and he talks about some of the things that he had in his life. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, uh, as, as touching the law, he said, there was nobody that could compare to me. Well educated. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And he talks about all these things that were benefit to him. He said that, that men would normally glory in. And Paul said, I count them but dung. He said, really, I, you know, I, I, years ago when I was a kid in high school growing up, every once in a while, uh, there would be an evangelist come through. And we had one in particular that would come through on a fairly regular basis and uh, he, would, he was, uh, had been in the music uh, industry before he got saved, and he had uh, worked with people like Johnny Cash. He'd even sung, I think, with Elvis Presley in a few things. And uh, he, he, he would come in, he would give his testimony, and he would say, You know, um, I, uh, I had a multi-million dollar recording contract that was offered to me just about the time that I got saved. And he said, I gave that up. I knew that wasn't what I was supposed to do. And as a teenager, the way that he told it, and years later as I got to know him, he didn't feel this way. But the idea I got when he would share that testimony was that he gave up a big sacrifice so that he could suffer for the Lord. Can I tell you this? There is nothing that we can give up from this world that will ever outweigh anything that is on the side of following the Lord. There is none. Paul said, I count it but dung. He said, it's just like a rubbish heap. It's just a trash. He said, I don't even count. I, I count it as nothing. It was nothing. 
And he said, I would have rather gloried in being shipwrecked and being beaten and all of these other things. He said, I'd rather glory in that than I would in all these other things. So Paul understood what it was to abound. He understood what life was like when it was good. There's sometimes we go through life. In fact, my daughter, the other day, she's only got, uh, I don't know, $50,000 in her savings account. <laughs> I don't know what it is. She's got a lot of money, let me tell you that. she got more than her dad has. And uh, she's got all this money. And she, she called me the other day crying. She's like, Dad, I'm, uh, we're spending more money than we're bringing in each month. And she's in tears. I mean, sobbing. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know what I'm going to do. We're, what's, uh, life was doing great. And he said, she said, all of a sudden, it just seems like everything's, you know, more money's going out than's coming in. Cars are breaking and air conditioners are breaking. And I said, how much money do you have in your bank account? And she told me. And I said, you don't have anything to work about, worry about. And I said, when you got $20 in the bank, then come talk to Dad, you know. But she's sitting pretty good right now. But, you know, she made the comment. She's like, uh, you know, how, how am I going to get by? This life is going terrible, and it was going so well. And I think we all understand that there are times in life where things go so good, and you think, boy, it couldn't get any better than this. And then there's other times we go through some valleys. We go through some dark times. And Paul said, I know how to abound, and I both be a base, and I know how to abound. Notice he says this, verse number 12. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed, notice what it says here, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And that verse seems out of place. Until you read the next verse. Notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire to give, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Can I tell you this? That within the context, Paul is speaking here that it's okay if I am abounding and it is okay if I am sitting here and wallowing in poverty. Whether I'm abased or I abound, he said, I have learned to be content. And I think all of us understand this idea that we get to a place in life and we say, how can I be content in this situation? Really, with, with, the, with this situation, as bad as it is, how can I really rejoice in what God is allowing to happen in my life right now. And that's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. Within the context, he's saying, I can be content whether I am abounding, or I can be content whether I am abased. I can do all of it. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Can I tell you this? When we begin to look at our circumstances and we focus on them, and we don't look at the things of the Lord during those times. We are destined to be discontent. But he teaches that we are able to be content 
whether we are abased or abounding, whether our life is on the mountaintop or in the valley, we can be content because of Christ, which strengthens us. The I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, is dealing here with the subject of contentment in any situation. It is not dealing with the, the catch-all uh, Aladdin's lamp where we rub the top of it and we get whatever we wish for. Or that we're, we're, we're praying, okay, Lord, help me to uh, uh, win that new vehicle that Toyota's given away, that new Tundra, Brother Harold. You need a truck anyway, so uh, get, a, get a new or a new gun or whatever you ladies do that you like, uh, new vacuums or, you know, pots and I don't know, what, whatever ladies like. Uh, and, you know, the truth is how often we, we get discontent, don't we? Even in our Christian lives. Uh, I know I find it often in my life, and, and, it, and it catches me sometimes, and I'm like, wow, how did I get that way about this situation? And Paul says this, I can, I can be content whether I'm abased or I'm abounding. I can do it all. I can be full and I can be hungry and still be content. doesn't matter. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And verse number 19 is another one that a lot of times we take out of context. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean we're always going to have everything we want. But we will always have everything we need. Whether we're abased or whether we're abounding, we have what God knows that we need. So I wanted to, to, to try to help with that particular verse. Because a lot of times we quote that in, in a way that it is not intended. It's not what Paul was, was getting to. And so I wanted to be a help to you on that one. Let's look in Luke chapter number 11. We're going to look at another one here real quick. And I think we have time for at least this one. This one is one of these ones that uh, I have been taught since I was a kid. And it's just been in the last two or three years that I have come across this and reread it and really put some thought into what is the passage saying to make certain that I am not misunderstanding what it is saying. Let's, uh, Luke chapter number 11. And... Um, Verse number 9. Luke chapter 11, verse number 9. Jesus says here, he says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, <clears throat> findeth. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, he that seeketh shall find. Knock, and it shall... Uh, <laughs> let's try that again. Verse 10. For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So again, we're, we're dealing here with a couple things regarding... This asking whatsoever we shall ask, uh, he says, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And again, we take this as a standalone verse to catch everything in our life. So if I need a new car, ask and God will give it to me. If I need a new house, ask and God will give it to me. Now, is that a true principle that we should pray about those things? Absolutely. But that's not what this verse is talking about. 
Notice what is right before it. When we get up to verse number 1 of chapter 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to what? Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? You shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his what? His what? Importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, and this is where verse number 9 comes in, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth. To him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now, I want to give you two thoughts on this verse, and then I'm going to give you one thought on this verse and one thought on the passage as a whole. And we're going to go look at the parallel passage in the book of Matthew because it's very, very important, I think, that we miss. The first thing is, when it talks about asking, seeking, and knocking, it's, it's referring to the prayer that Jesus just prayed. It's referring to the things that Jesus listed in that prayer. Look and see what it says here in verse number, uh, let's start in verse number, oh, let's see here. Uh, it starts in the middle of verse number 2. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. So we need to be praying for the kingdom. So if we ask for that, we'll get that. If we knock, we'll get that. If we seek it, we'll get that. Give us day by day our daily bread. That's what we ask for. That's what we pray for. And forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're being asked, we're asking for these things. Now, he goes on to clarify a little bit further as we get down to verse number 13. He says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the what? Give what? The Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. So let's, let's take a minute and look over in Matthew chapter number 7. Did I write the wrong? I think I wrote the wrong passage down. <laughs> I did that again. Sorry. Oh, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Back, that's what it was. Is that where it is? Verse number 9, somewhere in there. Is that it? Yeah, there we go. That's not the passage I was looking for. All right, well... Uh, I want. To, I, we need to get this. Give me just a minute. Sorry about that. I wrote a passage down wrong, and I should know it, but I didn't have the chapter down.
I'm sorry. Is seven seven? Uh, nope, that's not it. All right. Well, let's go. Uh, uh, we can use uh, Matthew chapter number six. I may have been in the wrong chapter here, so let's see here. Yeah, there we go. Let's go Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. So we'll do the same thing here. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. And he goes on to deal with the subject of praying. So understand that in Luke, when it talks about this idea of asking and seeking and knocking, he's dealing within the context of the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray. Now, he uses an interesting thing at the beginning of this in verse number, uh, if we're back in Luke chapter 11, in verse number 5, he makes this statement. He says, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me uh, three loaves, for a friend of mine is in his journey to come to me, and I have not, uh, nothing to set before him. And he shall within answer, uh, he, he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. Uh, say unto you, uh, but I say unto you, uh, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his, what's the next word here? His what? His, his importunity. He will rise and give him. And so this gives the idea that this friend is sitting there still knocking on the door. Knocking, knocking, knocking. Uh, the passage I was looking for, and, I, and it's not the one in Matthew, and I apologize, uh, is the one that talks about the, the woman that uh, goes to the judge as well. Anybody know where that one's at? Off the top of your head. It's in, I think it's... Uh, I'll have to find it. Uh, I'll get it and give it back to you. But anyway, here's, here's what I want to get across. As he deals with this, look in verse number 11. It says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a fish? Uh, will he give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So he's not giving a comparison here of the story that he gave about the friend and the story of the father and the son. He's showing a contrast. He's, he's not showing that, that uh, we are to be importunate in our praying. What he's showing here is a friend may do that, but we have a different relationship with God than friendship. We have a relationship of family. And it gets to this place where he talks about uh, in verse number uh, 11, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that his father, uh, that is a father, will he give him a stone or will he ask him a fish? Or if he asks for it, verse number 12, if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? This isn't telling us that we're supposed to go and just keep knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. What it's trying to tell us is we come in faith because he is our Father. And if we as, as evil parents are willing to give gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father be willing to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? We really need to find this other passage, so bear with me. Luke chapter, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in Matthew chapter 7. Let's see if I can get it here. There we go. Okay, it was the right passage. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7. I had the wrong verse written down. Sorry about that. Who said that? Oh, sorry about that, Miss Kathy. That was probably, yeah. I'm sorry. That was my fault. 
Okay, so he deals with the same thing here. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, he will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? It still doesn't have the other one that I was looking for, but this is fine. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And again, it's dealing with, and if you, if you do find the passage <laughs> of the lady who comes to the judge who comes because of her importunity, the Bible says, uh, then the Bible also talks about the fact that we do not have to come to God like that. That God is a good Father. He's not the one that we have to continue to come and beg and beg and beg and beg. God is not some um, uh, tyrant. Uh, Let me put it this way. He's not some unfair person who obtains joy out of making us go through things and jump through hoops to get to him. Does that make sense? Um, a father, if my son comes to me and he's got a need and he's asking for something that's legitimate, and, and this is dealing here with asking for the Holy Spirit. If if my son comes to me and he asks for the things that I know are, are in line with what he should ask his father for, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you need to do this. No, no, no you, didn't, you didn't do it right. Now you've got to do it this way. It's my son. And if he asks for something that is a legitimate thing to ask for, he's asking within my will and the things that he knows to be right, then what I believe this passage is trying to get across is it's not about the importunity. It's about the asking of the Father. And the Father, if, if we as evil parents are willing to give to our children and not, not create a problem for them in giving it to them, how much more shall the Heavenly Father do that for us? And I think sometimes we get these passages messed up with the idea of the importunate thing. Um, I don't know that you find in those passages, whether in these or the one where the lady goes to the uh, judge about uh, her problem, you don't find in those passages where that is a behavior that we are supposed to do. It's speaking of the fact that there's a relationship here that is not the same as what we have with God. And that if, if these people can do it this way, then surely when we come to God, we can ask within what, what he's wanted us to ask for here, which was from the Lord's Prayer and from these things here that we find about the Holy Spirit. We can ask and we will receive. Doesn't mean we have to ask and 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 God just doles it out in little small bites. We ask for it and we will receive it. Just the same as a father would give something to his children. So, very important that we understand that passage. I apologize for the mix-up in the passage there. Uh, and there was one more I wanted to bring in here, and I did not write that one down, apparently. But I did have Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 7 down. I just mislooked at the verse here. So, anyway, I want to try to be helpful with you on that one. The other one that I want to deal with, we'll deal with next Wednesday night. Um, and uh, it's going to be regarding... Um, well, I'll give it to you because we've already done it. Let's just do it real quick. We'll be done. Matt, uh, I do have these verses down, so you can rest assured. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We'll be done here in just a moment. Mark chapter 12. 
and verse number 41. Let's back up to verse 38. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at the feasts, at feasts, which devour, notice this, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. So, there's a list of things here they do wrong. Jesus says they're going to receive the greater damnation. One of those things in the list is that they're devouring widows' houses. That's an interesting phrase here. Jesus sat over against the treasury, across from it there. And behold, beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Again, I think we misunderstand this. It's usually taught along with uh, verses such as uh, God loveth a cheerful giver or that we're to give everything that we have. Again, there are certain scriptures that are, that are certainly give us an indication of how we're to give. This is probably an indication of how we're not to give instead of how we are to give. Very important that we understand this because we get here and Jesus does not commend her. Uh, there's no uh, saying, boy, this is great that she did this. He's actually condemning, if you'll look up in verse number, uh, verse number 38, he's condemning the scribes for it. He said, these are the people who like to devour widows' houses. And he's teaching his disciples that they are not to be spiritual leaders like these scribes are. They're not to devour the widows' houses. They're not to go and look for the chief places in the synagogues. They're not trying to sit at the high chairs in the, uh, uh, in the banquets. And he's trying to teach them this lesson. And he's sitting across watching these people put their uh, giving in, and this lady comes and puts in everything that she has. And Jesus tells them this, that uh, she had cast in all that she had. And look in verse number 44. The Bible says this, even all her living. Now, before we say, well, that sure teaches that we ought to give all that we have, the widow had no means of support in Bible times. She couldn't go out and get a job. And so she took all of her living, whatever she had, whether it was an allowance from her family or whether it was uh, money that she had left over from her husband, she gave all that she had, and then there was nothing more for her to live on. And I believe that if, within the context, it's dealing with these scribes that are devouring widows' houses. Look over in Luke chapter 21, and we see the parallel passage, and this one is the right reference this time. Luke chapter number 21 and verse number 1 and he looked up and saw the rich, uh, uh, rich man casting gifts, their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these of, of their abundance cast in unto their offerings of God. But she of the uh, penury hath cast in all that living that she, ha that she had. And again, nothing more is said about it. He doesn't commend her for it. He, he, again, is, I believe, rebuking 
the leadership, the, the religious leadership of the day. And the reason I believe that is if we go into the last verse, uh, last two verses of uh, chapter 20. Again, this is a good example of where the context is actually in the chapter before it. He says, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the high seats and the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses. And for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive the greater damnation. Now, does the Bible teach that we ought to give? Absolutely. Does it teach that we ought to give proportional to what we have come in? Sure. Does it teach that we're to give as we're led by the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Does it teach that we're not supposed to let our right hand know what our left hand is doing when we do that? Absolutely. There are plenty of scriptures on giving. But I think we do a disservice to this passage if we miss the point of it and we turn it into something that we say is dealing with our giving. At no point does the Lord instruct us to give everything that we have. If we were to follow the example of the widow, that means tonight we would go home and put our homes up for sale, our cars up for sale, take all of our clothes down to Goodwill, and we would go maybe find a cardboard sign and stand on a street corner somewhere. That's the equivalent of what, if we were to take this as an example of giving, that's the equivalent of what this passage would be teaching. And we certainly know that it does not teach that. So, again, just trying to help us with some passages that sometimes are mistaken. Um, we don't quite understand fully what they're talking about sometimes. And I hope that will be a little bit of a help to you. Um, and then I do have one more thing that I think we'll deal with next Wednesday night uh, that's not a problem passage, but again, another issue that sometimes we don't quite understand, um, like uh, some of the things that we did regarding uh, where the Old Testament saints went and things like that, some of those topics. I've got one more topic like that uh, that we'll do next Wednesday night, Lord willing. And um, if the rapture happens before then, we'll let the Lord teach that lesson instead of me, okay? All right, let's stand. We'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Thank you for the time that we've spent here together tonight. And, Lord, we do pray that uh, you would help us to understand and to rightly divide your word. Help us to understand the context of the things that are taught, that we would not misread into it things that are not there, that we would fully read and understand the things that are. And so, Father, we pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.